Hi, welcome to another episode of Journey with Jess. I'm your host, Jessica Monge, and today we're going to be interviewing Ashley. Ashley is going to be talking about eating disorders. So here's your trigger warning. If this is a sensitive topic for you, I recommend you taking these in small doses or maybe just skipping this episode as a whole. Journey with Jess is made to educate and spread awareness and i would not want to be triggering anyone as a reminder ashley is not a mental health professional i am not a mental health professional i am a mental health coach and a therapist matchmaker we are talking based off of our own lived experience so please enjoy this episode pause it as necessary and share it with your friends hi ashley thank you so much for being on the podcast how are you doing i am good how are you i'm good thank you um why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your mental health journey Sure, absolutely. Um, I was born and raised in Buffalo, New York. I stayed there until I was about 18 and then moved to New York City. I went to college there. I was first started in fashion and then shifted over to advertising. Pretty much throughout this entire time, I was struggling with anxiety, depression, PTSD, as well as managing and eating disorder that sort of had multiple levels to it and went hand in hand with a lot of my other mental health issues. As an adolescent, I did have what we affectionately like to call a grippy sock vacation, (laughs) Mm. (laughs) Um, which, you know, just essentially you needed to get some extra help and you needed a facility to push you to do so, which I feel like is the nicest way of (laughs) talking about it. Um, I, I struggled a lot with depression, anxiety, and undiagnosed ADHD. I thought as, you know, a lot of people think about ADHD that you're supposed to be hyperactive, but in reality, it was all happening in my head. Yeah, which also went hand in hand with uh, the eating disorder I had. I started with a binge eating disorder, which essentially was just sort of my way of regulating my emotions and finding Mm. my dopamine, rewarding myself if I've had a stressful day, those types of things. Um, I grew up in a restrictive food environment as well. Mm. So I already had the narrative trickling down that I was overweight, I needed to watch Mm. my weight, you know, and then you add the pressures of society as well. If you think about like high school and middle school and all of that, it's impossible to avoid it. Uh, It's pretty much a guarantee as women and men as well, like we are constantly surrounded by the pressures of society to look a certain way, especially the United States is insanely fat phobic. You know, I think overall the accessibility of a healthy lifestyle gets further and further away the longer we live in this country. (laughs) Yeah, Um, I get that. Yeah, I mean, I've been in and out of therapy, multiple, you know, meds, you name it. Um, you um, you mentioned that you went to a facility when you were younger. How old were you when you went in there? I was in my early teens. I attempted to unalive mm-hmm. myself, um, as the internet likes to say. Um, but it's a very common thing for adolescents to sort of use this pathway to take control because you feel like you've lost control over everything and Mm. if the eating disorder is no longer serving you in the way that you needed to right like in finding that control you eventually will find other routes to take control back in your life and that's essentially like what I learned the most about Mm. pretty much everything that was going on in my brain you know was a lot of it was just about 
the ability to control the situation and the ability to feel like I had control. Mm, I understand. Um, for people that don't know or understand what an eating disorder is, what is the best way you would describe it as? I would describe an eating disorder as any sort of unhealthy relationship with food um, or any sort of unhealthy relationship with feeding schedules. A lot of uh, neuroscientists like to talk about food and like feeding schedules and things like that, especially when they're talking about intermittent fasting or mm -hmm. a lot of the different styles of eating and diets and things like that. I feel like an eating disorder is so broad, like just right. it's insanely broad, especially now with our society and how social media um, circulates so much information, almost too much. So it can really range right from your upfront anorexia nervosa people who are withholding food, who are refusing to eat and are obsessed with being thin and are very fearful of gaining a pound or or anything like that. And then there's also the side of it where binge eating, right? So that's essentially just eating for your, your pleasure or overeating so much um, because either it's a resource issue, right? Like that thing might get taken mm. away from you. So of course, you're going to eat all of it because you don't want someone to know that you have it maybe. Or it's a control thing, right? Like if I eat all of this right now, then I won't have it tomorrow to eat. And the diet can start that. And a lot of the time with binge eating, after you've been binging for a while, you tend to purge at some point, which is, you know, just making yourself sick, not feeling so bad about the things that you've eaten. Yeah. And then, you know, there's also just plain bulimia, which is just essentially vomiting after any intake of food. And I also think there's this new sector of eating disorders that are spoken about much less, um, but it's this obsession with healthy and this obsession with organic. Mm. You can toss like intermittent fasting in that. And I'm not saying that mm. any of those things are bad, right? right? I also intermittent fast. I also try to eat organic when I can, but there's a line with every other part of a mental disorder where it becomes obsessive and preventative, mm. right? So if, if at one point you no longer go out to eat with your friends, you no longer eat enough to sustain yourself because you're so obsessed with eating organic, eating healthy, right. eating within your macros, mm -hmm. making sure you're getting enough protein, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You are no longer enjoying life because of food. Right. So mm -hmm. that now constitutes an eating disorder. Mm -hmm. And it's so broad. It's insane. Yeah, no, but you hit it right, right on the nail. Like, um, just to reiterate to anybody who's listening, neither of us are professionals within the mental health realm, but we know a thing or two. Um, but you're right, if it disrupts your way of life, that's a problem. And also when you're constantly thinking about it and obsessing about it, it's a problem. And you should see a professional. Were you ever formally diagnosed with an eating disorder? Not that I think that it matters, but... Yeah, no, I actually, to this day, have never been formally diagnosed with an eating disorder. When you live in a larger body, I think that the statistic is like 13% or 15% of people who live in a larger body are not diagnosed with an eating disorder. So essentially people that are just naturally mm -hmm. not rail thin or have more muscle on their body and things like that. Like when I go to the doctor and I you know, have my checkup, they tell me that my BMI is really high. And I'm like, that's great. It means nothing. And I keep yeah. it moving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you also work out too. And people forget yeah. that muscle weighs more and the BMI is so skewed. 
it really it is so skewed you know this this hasn't happened in a long time but if a doctor ever asks i'm like let's check my actual fat count like let's check my actual sugar because if you're really that concerned let's see if there's if there's proof behind the this bmi and whenever that has happened they're like oh yeah no everything's fine i'm like yeah mm -hmm." yeah like that's what i thought (laughs) yeah it's like i could lift you and this table please i am healthy (laughs) yeah yeah no absolutely and i agree it's like this traditional medicine is very very black or white and it's it does not help anybody men or women um and the bmi needs to be thrown out or updated because like you said let's look at your um the percentage of fat your sugar and stuff like that things that actually matter or things that were like how are you feeling? You're feeling good? Great. Because some people just can't lose weight and that's okay. You know, that's yeah. that that's a different thing in and of itself. Oh, 100%. I mean, as someone who also has PCOS and endometriosis, mm-hmm. yeah. like it is almost virtually impossible to lose weight when you have hormone imbalances, when you're on birth control that's not right for you. or right. all. There's so many things as a woman that are contributing to our weight loss or gain. I mean, even when I go to my doctor for my physical, I let them know right away if I'm on my cycle or not, because it's a guarantee it's going to affect my weight if I'm yeah. on my cycle. It's just a guarantee. No. It makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I feel like horrible when I'm on my cycle. I'm just like, yeah. I don't even go to the doctor. Like, I just don't want to hear it. It's just, I already know. Let's talk a little bit about formally diagnosing versus not formally diagnosing. I've met a lot of people who are like, if you're not formally diagnosed, you don't have it. And I don't think that personally, because I believe going to therapy and getting diagnosed are both privileges. Um, but like you said, there's a bias against larger people or thicker people. And there's also the cultural thing where like, if you didn't grow up in a household where like, you go to therapy to get diagnosed, you're probably never going to get diagnosed. That doesn't mean that you don't have the thing. What's yeah. your opinion on that? I agree. I mean, I think for the purpose of living in the United States, right? Also, my dog has also joined me, uh, <laughs> joined the, the chat. Um, <laughs> a lot of things to be treated medically need to be diagnosed. And therefore, I completely agree that there is a massive significance around an official diagnosis, having some sort of sheet that says, yes, you do have this thing, right? But if there is no specific treatment, no medication, no need, personally, I would rather not fight with doctors to prove my illness Mm. and just keep it pushing. Like if you had me on Prozac already, that treats me for my eating disorder. So I'm good to go. Like that antidepressant is exactly what I need for this. And so I'm going to keep it moving. Like I'd rather not go through Mm. the effort because as we know, the medical system in our country is insanely difficult and it's a battle sometimes to get diagnosed or to get seen even, um, So if I can solve two birds with one stone, I typically would. But that should not defer anyone from going to seek treatment and seek help, especially because these things sort of coexist, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, Mm -hmm. PTSD, ADHD, autism, all of those things live in the exact same spectrum. And one typically adds to another. So, you know, get get treated, get tested. I totally encourage all of it. Um, for me, it's just easier to not have an official diagnosis because I don't want to go to battle. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I, I understand that for sure. I just know that some people feel or are told that they don't have the thing 
just because they're not formally diagnosed. Um, and I think the shame, it's like mental health shaming kind of in a way. It's like, we shouldn't be doing that. It's really sad, it's, especially with women with ADHD, where it's so difficult to get diagnosed with that too. Like, I'm like 90% sure that I have it, but I've never been diagnosed. And like, everybody I've talked to, therapist-wise, they're like, no, because you don't check off these boxes. And I'm just like... Mm-hmm listen dude it's been years and it's a struggle but nevertheless um i think it definitely is a privilege to get diagnosed or see therapy depending on like people's situations um fees payment insurance but um if you don't mind speaking on it a little bit more would you go into more of like your eating disorder story and um how you got help what happened and things like that yeah, absolutely. As a, a young child, um, I had an older sister who was very thin and also struggled with bulimia. So I sort of already had examples of this in my life to start. Already saw that this is something that you could use to control anything and everything, or the one thing that you actually have control over as a child, which is your food. Not to talk negative about my mom or my parents in any way, but they were not uh, the kindest about my body and my body image, and they were not encouraging, like, I would say society has shifted more now. So I didn't have complete ownership over myself, essentially, it felt like um, I had no control over how people were perceiving me, or I just I realized that this this thing, aka, being overweight or looking like you're overweight, was going to stop me and prevent me from pretty much everything in my life. And it sort of started with me eating things that I knew were bad um, and eating all of it or some of it. And that's sort of when the like locks started going on the refrigerator and I'd have to sneak around to be able to eat things I wanted to eat. And you sort of developed this really uh, nasty relationship with food where it's almost like a drug and it's impossible to avoid because everything is about food. It's pretty much everything revolves around it birthday parties holidays yeah everything especially as a kid too you know you'd go into school and it would be someone's birthday and everyone would have cupcakes and you didn't want to be the fat kid that asked for a second cupcake or something but that's essentially where it started was with binge eating and then as I got into my teens my late teens I started purging as a way to try and make myself thinner that way I could still enjoy the food but didn't have to actually have the calories because I learned about calories and all of the, you know, like the crappy education they give you on nutrition in public school. (laughs) Um, And yeah, from there, I battled with it on and off. Um, I was also being treated for anxiety and depression. was not being treated for ADHD yet. That did not come until uh, my 20s. I was put on a few different kinds of medications. I was put on Wellbutrin, which, you know, definitely helped with um, the eating disorder, but it also had a ton of other side effects. And while I was in on my grippy sock vacation, they, uh, you know, people could tell that something was off with my eating and the way that I was sort of resource guarding around food. So I learned, you know, just like some techniques from that experience, you know, having single serve items is like my one of my biggest go-tos when it comes to having a treat that way you don't feel the need to like continue eating the thing like once your little bag or your little cup or whatever is empty you're done and you've you know you're able to move on and you got that little bit of dopamine but it's not all the dopamine for the day and you can just uh 
forget about it at least how is it now that you're an adult and i would say or i don't know if it's the right word for you um your situation would you say you're in like a recovery phase right now from eating disorder yeah i would definitely say i'm in the recovering phase i there are times of course where i see some of my habits and behaviors and i'm like oh i think i'm slipping a little bit or i'm especially stressed or my period is coming <laughs> yes <laughs> um yeah so I also try not to be hard on myself in those moments um, and recognize what's happening and why it's happening. I think that's probably the most important thing when it comes to any mental health thing, right, is to be able to rationalize and compartmentalize what's happening, why it's happening, and if you can stop it or slow it down and how. So now, I like some of my coping mechanisms or some of the ways that I stop myself from slipping back into that relationship with food is I try not to restrict myself. So if there is something that I want, I have it, but I pair it with something else that's going to be filling um, or I pair it with something that I know is something that I need to eat that day, like some sort of vegetable or I buy like the protein chips or the protein cookies. So at least if I am eating the sweet thing or I am eating the the thing that's bad for me, yeah. quote unquote, as society likes to say, at least I'm getting, I'm benefiting further than just eating empty carbs or empty, empty calories in any way. Uh, it is difficult though with weightlifting and training. Mm -hmm. uh, it's quite easy to fall back into disordered eating when you are lifting uh, because you are tracking your macros, you're making sure you're getting enough protein. I used to track what I ate all the time. I had a a pretty hefty weight loss, not caused by disorder eating, caused just by picking up uh, kickboxing and weightlifting and just changing my diet. I was no longer in an office. I was working from home all the time. So mm. there weren't cakes and cupcakes and oh. free <laughs> sweets around all the time. Yeah. So I was able to sort of get out of the habit of eating poorly at the same time of working out. And that's when I had my major weight loss and then I relapsed in ways of becoming obsessed with calories and macros and things like that, I sort of snapped myself out of it at some point when I see that I'm not enjoying life anymore because of food. Um, I was going to ask you that. I was like, where do you draw the line or where do you know where? Because obviously weightlifting, a lot of people do it now and it's a, it's a great thing to do. But where do you draw the line of like, I'm becoming too much, like this macro, counting macros and, and stuff is becoming an eating disorder type of situation versus it's like, no, I'm just doing it for this hobby or whatever. It's hard and it's different, I think, for everyone, right? For me, it's I'll start to notice it if I stop saying yes to things. So if it's mm. my sister's birthday and we're all going out to dinner and I don't say I want to go or I go and even worse, I like don't eat anything and I'm miserable. Mm. Um, that's a huge red flag for me. Becoming obsessive where I'm tracking every single calorie, that's also a way that I know that I'm slipping into those behaviors. It's really just dependent upon exactly what I'm tracking and, and that kind of a thing. The easiest way for me to not slip into this disordered eating or this dysfunctional way of having a relationship with food is to not uh, analyze everything that I'm eating and sort of have a, a guide and just follow the guide. So I know all these different foods have X amount of protein in them, X amount of carbs, and that's what I need to eat throughout the day. And whatever else I eat is just bonus. Like 
but I need to make sure I eat these three things mm. in the day. And that's it. <laughs> nice. Nice. That's, that, I think that's a good balance to have, you know? Yeah. It's important um, to be able to also have variety too. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, if I order a Starbucks or something, I don't want to be like, oh no, I can't get a pumpkin spice latte. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, you should, you should be miserable when, you know, you're talking about food or drinks or whatever. Um, once you're measurable about it, that's definitely one of the red flags. But growing up in like the 90s and early 2000s and the media, like talk about your experience with that in um, ED a little bit. It's uh, It's been triggering lately, I think. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've, you've also noticed, but a lot of fashions that have been coming back and trendy styles. The, the low rise um, is like, that's a me yeah. really like... <clears throat> as a high-waisted girly who has no torso i am right there with you absolutely triggered by low-rise jeans <laughs> yeah no um yeah i in the 90s it was an extremely toxic culture of rail fin heroin chic i mean that's mm -hmm. essentially what they called this the body type you know just mm -hmm. insanely thin to the point where you could see hip bones, you could see ribs, yeah. you know, yeah. just absolutely unhealthy. If I would have known then, like what I know now about wanting to be stronger and, and things like that, I wouldn't have been so obsessed over being thin because um, there's so much that comes with your health when you're that thin and when you're yeah. starting to see bones, you, you know, it's long term, not good. But the 90s for sure we're scarring um yeah to say yeah. the least right yeah. yeah um definitely seeing the the clothes again it's kind of like i mean it looks great on some people but it just you know as long as it's in a healthy manner i regardless it's just i, I don't really love it anymore um but yeah. wear whatever you want and whatever makes you feel comfortable but don't yeah. push me to wear something oh, i'm gonna wear whatever i want <laughs> yeah absolutely and like for people listening don't squeeze yourself into a size that you think is necessary like clothes are supposed to fit you you're not yes. supposed to fit into clothes exactly um, there so. is never a shame in getting a larger size like we have to remember i i worked in fashion for a while and like the mm. women's industry is so skewed and probably one of the most fat phobic places is women's fashion especially in the united states but across the world for sure um, absolutely yeah and like yeah. so you worked in fashion i don't know if you might know the answer to this but why are sizes so different like one brand size 12 is not the same as another brand size 12 like yeah. why is that you know <clears throat> well so there's a lot of complex answers to this but in the short it comes down to what the fabric is made of and mm. what what the actual pants are designed to do for you so you have like a curvy fit you have your skinny fit you have a, a mom jean fit etc 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 but all of those fits have certain amounts of elastane or um, spandex or anything within them so something that has a higher elastane count is going to be a smaller size for you because it has a higher stretch but if you're going into 100% cotton levi pair of jeans your size is most likely going to be much larger than what it is than something that has all of that elastane in it. So that's one aspect of it, right? The actual fabric makeup. There's a lot less variation for men in the fabric makeup 
denim area because mm-hmm. a lot of them aren't wearing these all of these different styles. I mean, they exist for men, but they're just not yeah. as common as they are for women. And the other part of it, right, is like variation of sizing from manufacturers because our our sizing is so different from men's sizing. There's just such a high variability between one factory to another of what a size 12 looks like. Um, and especially when you're thinking when you're thinking overseas, their sizes are much oh, yeah. smaller inherently than a, a lot of what we see here. Mm, yeah, that, that makes sense. I didn't know about the um, how big a difference fabrics made um, in terms yeah. of sizing, but I definitely I see a lot of TikToks on like people going to visit like Thailand, and then like if you're like a, a small in America, you're like fat over there, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, like um, yeah. that makes sense. A lot of the factories are over there and um you know they make our clothing and stuff. it's tough with stores like if you think about like tj maxx or something mm. where you're shopping such a broad range of factories and suppliers and brands like yeah. you can't get two pairs the same size that are going to fit the same at a store like that and that's a prime example of like just the complete variability that is women sizing yeah, no, and it's definitely a headache. And it, I know when I grew up, it was very, um, what's the word? I guess depressing because I'm just like, why am I size five now all of a sudden when I'm a size three or whatever the case may be? Um, yeah. But growing up, the sizing definitely is um, very hard on your mental health um, as a kid. It's like Abercrombie and Fitch triggering. <laughs> oh, yeah. I did start shopping there to like maybe a few months ago. Um, um, but my cousin told me that their sizes used to be very petite. Oh, like there was a point where I couldn't shop there at all because they didn't go past a large in clothing. And the large was, it fit like a medium essentially. Wow. Um, but yeah, like it was like a symbol of being thin if you were wearing Abercrombie and Fitch. Uh, mm. But now they've com- obviously completely rebranded and are a much more size inclusive just in general, inclusive brand. But back then, not so much. <laughs> well, I'm glad, I'm glad they're changing. It just sucks that um, it was what it was, you know, where it was very um, yeah. not inclusive. If you don't mind, why don't we talk a little bit about, like, your therapist journey? I know that you mentioned that a little bit, like how you found a therapist that worked for you and that you actually liked and stuff. Yeah. Um, I went into therapy at a really young age when my – I was struggling with my parents getting divorced. They got divorced uh, when I was like three years old, but it ended up just being something that really ate at me when um, I was in public school and seeing all of the like happy families together and whatnot. Uh, It was very hard to deal with, you know, just some other issues going on between my parents as well. So my mom put us in like Catholic charity therapy, which was free Mm -hmm. therapy at the time. I don't know if they still have that available, but I do know that there are free in-person therapy resources, uh, at least through Catholic Charities and um, other institutions like that. Um, and it was really helpful and beneficial for me as a very young child. I think I was about, I don't know, eight when I first started. And from there, I was with seeing the, the same therapist in Catholic Charities for a year or two. And then I shifted over to middle school and started seeing a counselor there. And from there, you know, I uh, just started really developing a very strong relationship with my therapist there to the point where I mean, counselor, so I'm not really a therapist, but close enough. 
right. um yeah to the point where I would go back to the middle school even when I was in high school to talk to uh -huh. her and connect with her yeah high school was really hard very hard I think it's probably one of the hardest times for all of us uh -huh. um especially now and I found professional help while I was in high school I actually told my gynecologist at the time she had asked me how my mood had been and things like that because I had gone on birth control at a really young age to control my uh period just being wreaking havoc on my brain and body and I had told her that like I was very depressed or what I thought was depressed or sad and and stressed all the time and um she recommended a a therapist for me mm -hmm. uh someone to talk to so that's when my journey as well sort of started with an official therapist psychiatric help and, you know there's a point where you get to a really you hit rock bottom and you're like okay <laughs> something's got to change you know I did hit that point and went in uh to a facility and then came out and uh continued my relationship with therapy which was like at first required and then from there um i moved to new york city found a psych a psychiatrist in person found a therapist as well in person then the, and i pretty much stayed with them for almost my entire time in new york until the pandemic and then when the yeah. pandemic hit i'm switched over to virtual services and i've had the same virtual therapist since then um she's followed me everywhere I've gone, thankfully. That's um, awesome. Yeah, yeah. And she's great. She's really great. Um, did you find her on like um, a website or was she recommended through a friend or something? We have a portal through our health insurance mm. through the company that I work for. And you can find um, therapy resources through there. So thankfully, I've still been at the same company all this time. Nice. Uh, yeah, but I also told her I would continue to see her no matter if I had this job or not. Oh, that's awesome. That, yeah. that means she's an amazing therapist. I'm so happy for you. Also, I mean, a lot of people don't think about this, but if you do work for a company that offers you health insurance and you have some sort of portal where you can look for doctors, you can absolutely look for therapists and psychiatrists and find all of them through that system. And it, it's typically cheaper or there is some sort of stipend or FSA thing that you can do. And it ends up being much more financially feasible uh, when you do yeah. things that way. That's awesome. That's really good to know. That's yeah. great. Awesome. So we're going to be wrapping up soon, but I do want to ask you, is there anything else that you'd like to touch on when it comes to eating disorders? It's really easy to look at everyone around us and to look at society and think that you need to fit in this bubble or be someone that you're not or whatever it is. And when that becomes the thing you're obsessed about, that's when you need to realize that there's something deeper going on. It's really important to self-reflect as often as possible, if not every day, at least once a week. It's also important to track your emotions and your moods if you can. I think all of those things sort of go hand in hand with figuring out if you do have an eating disorder or if you're on the cusp, if you have an unhealthy relationship with food, but a lot of it can also be explained, right, by mm -hmm. whatever's happening in your life, by the fact that your cycle is coming. As women, I, I know I can't say this enough, but, like, our hormones are the driving force to a lot of what we do and don't do. So 
if my cycle is coming, I'm going to most likely just throw out the window whatever thoughts I'm having <laughs> about yeah. my body or that feeling of gaining weight or the fact that I might want to eat an entire bar of chocolate, like whatever, I'm just going to eat an entire bar of chocolate. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think it's important to sort of get in this habit of tracking yourself when it comes to your emotions and your moods and seeing where they line up and figuring out what the cause and effects are to be able to understand yourself because self-reflection and self-understanding, I think top tier, most important parts of your mental health is ensuring that you know where you are in your life. No, I agree. I think that that was wonderfully said. That's amazing. Like you said, when if you're on your period and stuff, you have to give yourself a lot of grace and just, I am on my period. I'm going to do whatever I want with no regrets. And that's that. Because like you said, it's the home hormones, a whole bunch of different things, stressors in your life. Just give yourself the okay. I usually always end with what advice would you give to someone listening? But you kind of answer that. So I want to ask you a different question. Okay. What advice would you give to younger you outside of mental health and eating disorders the, <laughs> the one advice i always give everyone and would give myself if i could is save your money <laughs> stop <laughs> buying things you don't need them um okay but back Love that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually i wish i could tell myself that too though <laughs> same like i would be so wealthy right now if i did not buy dumb things but anyway <laughs> So aside from saving money, I would say nothing is forever and your thoughts aren't reality. Nothing is forever in the sense of this feeling that you're having right now isn't going to last forever. This place in life that you are, whether it's terrible or wonderful, isn't going to last forever. Um, so either enjoy it or know that it's going to end at some point if it's bad right enjoy it if it's good try and learn something from it if you can but either way you're going to move on just love yourself thank you for listening to that episode of journey with jazz i know it might have been a little bit too heavy but it's something that i think is very much needed to be talked about just want to let you know that you're heard you're validated if you're going through anything remotely similar please seek a mental health professional i have a free guide that i will be listing down in the description below if you need help finding a therapist that is right for you also this is the last episode of season two thank you for listening all the way through i'm so excited for season three which will be coming out probably february or march of next year i know ideally i wanted it to be coming out in january but if you don't already know i'm getting surgery october 26th and I'm going to be out of commission for a month or two. So I won't be starting interviews till the end of December or in January. The theme of next season is going to be mostly therapist based. I want to interview more therapists and pick their brains on their specialties. Also, the other half of the season, yes, I'm going to split it into two, is going to be in Spanish. It's been brought to my attention that people want to be educated more in a language that they're familiar in and as a latina we're going to try to do this in my botched spanish i was raised speaking spanish but now as an adult it's a little bit hard for me but i'm going to do it to spread awareness for the education and for friends and family who want to know deeper on certain topics so i will be re-interviewing a few people that i interviewed this season and last season and just do it all in spanish but the first half of the season will be more therapist based. So maybe I will extend it to 12 episodes instead of 10, but let me know down below what topics do you want to hear from therapists? 
what you want to learn more about. And if you're a native Spanish speaker or you know someone who would benefit of listening to something in Spanish, please let me know down below. Thank you for listening to Journey with Jess. 